0: So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. Susan Macy is an occupational therapist and CEO and founder of Pediatric Therapies. She graduated from Quinnipiac University in Hamden, Connecticut in 1983. While having early experience in adult acute care, rehab, and home health, Susan has specialized in pediatrics for more than 30 years. She began her pediatric career in schools and home care, eventually moving to private practice. With the desire to truly make a difference in the lives of children and families, she opened Pediatric Therapies in August of 2005. Focusing on excellence in all areas from the faculty to staff to programming, Pediatric Therapies has become one of the largest, most renowned therapy clinics for children in Tennessee. Danielle Carter graduated from St. Louis University's Occupational Therapy Program in 1998 And immediately began working with children in clinics and schools. After working in Missouri for several years, she moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where she lives with her husband and two daughters. Danielle began working at pediatric therapies in January of 2008. She has expertise working with children with sensory processing disorders, sensory-based feeding issues, autism, ADHD, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, behavioral disorders, and other developmental difficulties. Y'all, we're so excited about this conversation. We have been talking about wanting to have you on for years, and we finally are in the fruition stage of getting to talk with y'all and just so excited. And, oh, we're so thrilled to be here. Well, we'd love for you to start with your work life, your family life. How did you get into this field and specifically you have a new role you're loving I Susan. do, all I sure the things. Do. We
2: want to hear about all of it. Well, I'm Susan Macy, and I started a practice called Pediatric Therapies in 2005. I'm an occupational therapist, and we provide occupational, physical, and speech and language therapy for children for adolescents and even adults. Mm -hmm. I have always specialized in sensory integration therapy. That's not all that we do at the clinic. We have some other specialty areas. We do listening therapies. We do feeding therapy. We even have a therapist that recently got some specialty certification in working with moms who are having difficulty breastfeeding their infants. We do a wide variety of things at the clinic. But I had been training as an SI therapist for many years. I traveled across the country, gone to many, many different clinics, and As I became more trained and came back here to practice, I realized that I couldn't do everything that I was trained to do. Mm -hmm. I needed space and equipment and the right staff. And so I just didn't think we had that here in the Nashville area to the degree that I had envisioned in my head. So I just decided to step out in faith and start this clinic. And I wanted a fun, motivating, happy, well-equipped, facility with just the most brilliant people that could help families, not just overcome an obstacle or remediate a disability, but to develop a well-being, a mm. life of joy with yes. their child. And that's what we've come to build at Pediatric Therapies. Mm. I'm married. I, I have a amazing husband of 39 years and mm. three kids and five grandkids. As ah. you speak of my new role, yes. I stepped back about five Ish years ago. I just have such fond memories of my own grandparents, who I didn't get to spend a lot of time with because we moved a lot when I was younger, and mm-hmm. so I didn't live near them. But I have such amazing memories of my grandparents, particularly my grandmothers, being these incredibly loving, calm, mm-hmm. safe, acknowledging, Adults in my life, and I wanted so badly to be that resource for my own grandchildren. And so, I had been working with this amazing woman, Danielle, for many, many, many years. We worked even before pediatric therapies together, and she had been working alongside of me and was just brilliant and very capable of running the clinic. So, I asked her if she would step in and take that role so I could step back. And pour everything I had into my grandkids. And so that's where I am kind of right now. Mm,
0: What a gift
2: to your children and your (laughs) grandchildren. Oh, it's a gift to me. Trust me. I was totally built for
3: this. (laughs) Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had the opportunity to come in as an OT and be mentored kind of under Susan and with her incredible staff that she hired and uh, just love working with children and connecting with families and Susan's clinic, the pediatric therapies, just offered the space and the equipment and the philosophy to do that. So I've really grown as a therapist and now an administrator at Pediatric Therapies, which has been just an incredible opportunity. And I'm so grateful for just a really wonderful place. I am married and I have two girls. They're 18 and 15 now, which is really hard to believe one's mm. a senior in high school. So I've learned a lot as a parent. And that's been helpful in my career as an OT and connecting with other parents. Great. Great to hear. Yes.
1: Susan, you starting Pediatric Therapies, it has become one of the largest, most renowned therapy clinics for kids in Tennessee. And there's yes. there is no way to know how many families we have sent to Pediatric <laughs> no. Therapies over the years or how many thousands of families you all have served over the years and the oh. gift you've been to this community. And what did you imagine even what did you hope when you started?
2: Well, I think you summed it up perfectly. <laughs> Just that ability to really help families and children. Even as a young child, I I I had this sense that as a child we are often misunderstood. I don't know why that is, but as I grew, I just always enjoyed children. Even in high school, I babysat all the time. I wanted to be around children all the time. And I just had this understanding that it was difficult at times to be a child and that I felt even growing up at times that I was often misunderstood. And as I developed this career and and became more trained and realized that there was a way to help children with sensory issues, I just wanted to build this place that could really meet that need Abundantly. So we created pediatric therapies.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, mission accomplished. Yes,
3: it has. <laughs> yes. And we well. refer to Daystar as well and look to you all for a lot of support oh, with our yes. families and appreciate all that yes. you guys do here. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Yeah.
3: Well,
0: for any parent listening, Susan, with the sensory processing disorder, as you talked about, mm-hmm. who doesn't really understand maybe what that is, right. or even to what to watch for with kids, will you right. talk a little bit about sure, that? Sure, I'd
2: be happy to. So let's define sensory processing. It's really our central nervous system's ability to take in sensory messages from outside of our bodies, from the environment, and from inside of our bodies, and integrate and process those, and then produce a response that's adaptive, So let's further define some terms. So sensory messages, what are those? So everything we see, visual, everything we hear, auditory, everything we touch, tactile, our movement, which is part of our vestibular system, how we adjust our joint positions and our body in space, our proprioceptive system, all of those things provide input to our brains about our environment. We also get messages from inside our body, interoception, from temperature to hunger to just our emotional well-being. And all of those are sensory messages as well. And when we process those well, what comes out is what we call an adaptive response or the ability to change and adapt to some environmental input that is acting upon us. And when we don't do that well, then we end up Producing a maladaptive response. So, an example of that would be as we're sitting here doing this podcast, if an air conditioner were to kick on, my central nervous system would alert to that. I wonder what is that sound? I might feel air brushing across my skin. What is that touch sensation? I would process that. I would determine that it's a safe input. I don't have to run out of the room screaming. <laughs> I can sit quietly and go back to what I was doing. That's my adaptive response. If I didn't have a central nervous system that could do that well, I might run out of the room screaming if an Mm. air conditioner came on. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about sensory processing, just our ability to process this just onslaught of sensory information that our bodies take in all the time. We have a nosology or a way that we categorize different types of sensory processing disorders. And I even hate to use the word disorder because we all process sensory information. We're all processing beings. Mm -hmm. But we look at it in terms of three basic categories. The first one is a modulation category. So within that, that just means Can kids turn up or turn down easily their responses to sensory processing, or do they get stuck? Does it get turned up and they get stuck? Does it get turned down and they get stuck? Mm. So within that category, we have over-responsive kids who react with lots of intensity and frequency of behavior. Mm. Those are your explosive kids or your very upset kids. They over-respond to sensory input. It's scary to them. Then there's the under-responsive kiddo who looks lethargic and withdrawn and doesn't react to very much going on in their environment. And then there's the sensory craver who is looking for sensory input all the time. Those are the kiddos that get kicked out of preschool a lot yes. because they're just so overwhelming. Then the second category of sensory processing difficulties is what we call sensory-based motor disorders. And those are kiddos that are very uncoordinated. Their posture is off. They can't motor plan. They're Movements very well, and they're very clumsy kids. And when you have problems like that, it can be very dysregulating. Then the third category is what we call discrimination difficulties. For example, if you had a discrimination difficulty in your auditory system, you might not hear the differences between the D sound and the P sound. Mm -hmm. So language becomes difficult. Or if it's in your visual system, you might not be able to visualize things in space very well. And so, what I want to make clear to everybody is we all have idiosyncrasies in terms of sensory processing, right? I cut the tags out of almost all of my clothes. That doesn't mean that I have a disorder. It's Mm. just something particular to me. It's when you have a chronic issue with sensory processing problems. You have often clusters of symptoms that you see. And most importantly, and almost most exclusively, it's impacting your day-to-day. Yes. I don't like the way my clothes feel a lot of the time, but I'm a pretty high-functioning adult. I've succeeded pretty well in life and I get through (laughs) my day pretty well. Right. So I would not say that I actually have a disorder that needs intervention. Mm -hmm. So there's a wide continuum of what we might consider to be normal, but when it's impacting your day-to-day is when we really want to provide help to kids and families, not just kids, because we all know when your kid is struggling The whole family is struggling, right? Yes. Mm. Can I step in and take this to a really basic place? Because
1: this is
0: probably my understanding. And as a therapist, I mean, we talk about this a lot. But often, our initial appointment with someone, as they're talking, we can start to pick up on some things. And we will often send people to y'all and say, "Do this before you even come back to therapy," because if the volume's up too high on Mm -hmm. these issues until we can turn it down, we're not going to be able to deal with things from an emotional And standpoint. you
2: know when kids are in a state of alertness, over-alerted or under-alerted or have some issue, they're not available to do some of the the cognitive work work that it requires to learn or to address behavior issues or to do other things that they want to do. Yes. So that's smart, very smart.
0: So from a very basic standpoint, I mean, the conversation I have, and and I'm meeting with a lot of girls, Mm -hmm. you're meeting with a lot of boys, it's typically parents will say, she will not wear jeans. She will only wear dresses or leggings. It's the kids who they're hypersensitive to sounds. And I think I've learned more recently, even kids who don't have, and you said this in a term that I've never heard before, but body awareness in mm-hmm. the room. You know, they're bumping into things all the time. Are there some super basic things like that that you would say, these are some things to just be aware of and pay attention to the patterns in that? I'm getting us off track,
3: but- I think you just named them, really. I mean, I think a lot of those things- are like yellow flags, and you can mm. say, We might need to dig a little deeper on these and see what's happening there. Love that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, there's definitely signs and symptoms of different processing difficulties, right? And that's part of the evaluation process, is that really you all would do first. We spend a lot yes. of time not just evaluating the child, but having the parent give us an incredible amount of information, sometimes even reaching out to school personnel or others in the child's life that can give us information about what they're seeing in different environments. Yes. That's very, very helpful in terms of trying to pinpoint what exactly could be causing the problem. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's so helpful. Thanks, y'all. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Sissy, how's that New Year's goal of cooking more going for you?
0: Really well, actually. And you know why, David, right? Because you're using every plate? Yep. I've been making some really amazing recipes like honey ginger pork chops and sweet potato and pepper quesadillas.
1: Wait a minute. You're not moving on from our taco obsession, are you?
0: Those quesadillas are so good, I just might. No, David. I could never lose my love for tacos, but the quesadilla is like a cousin of the tacos, so I think it's okay.
1: I suppose. And Every Plate Kits are the most affordable meal kits out there. So affordable. They cost a lot less than a dinner out at our favorite taco spots.
0: They do. And don't worry, they have plenty of taco meal kit options. Actually, Every Plate has 25 meal options every week. So we can say big on whatever Mexican, Asian, Italian, or other type of cuisine we love. The options are endless.
1: Get started with Every Plate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com podcast and entering code RBG149.
0: Go to everyplate.com slash podcast and enter code RBG149.
1: My wife is a learning specialist and was so jealous that I was going to get to sit down in the room with two. Mm. She works closely, oh. loves the two of you, loves your practice, so believes in what you do, has sat front row and seen mm. the impact of a kid she loves who gets support. She was also personally excited because she's always hoping that I will be developing new healthy adaptive ways to deal with hunger, which I which is an <laughs> ongoing something I'm working on over responding <laughs> in that space. So, but not about me, we serve countless kids and adolescents who struggle with anxiety. And when we track through early development and gathering history, it's common to hear parents report sensory hurdles of some kind. And so do you see a strong correlation between early sensory struggles and anxiety down the road?
3: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially in those sensory over-responders that Susan was talking about earlier. And they're heightened to everything that's going on around them. Yes. And if you think about how much your environment is constantly changing mm-hmm. and how unpredictable the people are around mm-hmm. you, they're in a constant state of anxiety, right? They're always mm-hmm. always looking for something stable, And anxiety is a big part of how they're feeling. And additionally, they become rigid and controlling sometimes. We see a lot of kids and adults trying to control as much as they can, which makes them miss out on some opportunities, right? Because they're trying to control everything around Mm, them. And it's the only coping strategy they know. It is. And they think it's adaptive.
2: It sort of helps parents Mm -hmm. understand that concept of anxiety with regard to sensory processing issues. When you explain to them, picture yourself at the mall, and it's at night, and you've just finished shopping, you've got all these packages, and you've been having such a great time, but you don't realize it's 10 o'clock and the mall's closing. So you walk out the door, and the employee locks the door behind you, and you whip around to walk to your car, and you realize, oh, my goodness... I am the only one left in this Mm. very dark, creepy parking lot, and there's a... Creepy van parked about two spaces away from my car and there's nobody else around. And so what is happening to your body at this point? Mm. Well, your respirations are quickening and getting more shallow, right? Your heart's starting to pump a little harder like it does while we're doing this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, your blood is now going from your digestive system to your arms and your legs so you can be ready to fight or flee. Mm. And you realize I've got to get to my car. So you start the process of going through the parking lot and now you're hyper alerted to everything. Anything that moves, anything that makes a sound, a leave rustling across the parking lot is catching your attention. You're hyper alerted. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what our kids are feeling when they're dysregulated and they're on high alert because of some sensory issue that's plaguing them. And that kind of helps parents get a sense of, look, your child's behavior, they're not trying to get back at you. They're not trying Mm -hmm. to get something that they want just because they want it. They really are in a fight or flight sort of autonomic nervous system response cycle and they need you to step in and help. Mm. y'all. I love the compassion
0: that's engendering in parents, and I love that y'all come at it from such a big picture standpoint, but also the other thing I love about OT is that it's so practical. I mean, Mm. you all are teaching wheels on the ground. I mean, I have recently learned about red choices and green choices, which is Uh so basic, but Uh it's so helpful Mm -hmm. with little ones. And I think one of the things that we love so much, and we wish every preschool in America or in the world was teaching about zones of regulation. Mm. Will y'all talk a little bit about that And about how you use it in your practice and teach it with kids.
3: Yeah, we use it every day. It is Mm. a great program. We consider it kind of a top-down approach. It's some cognitive strategies to help kids with regulation. It's a wonderful program that teaches children about the zones. And there's four of those. The blue zone, where you're tired and kind of groggy, maybe (laughs) grouchy. The green zone, which is often an optimal state to be in. It's when you're very focused and you're getting your work done and you're working well with others. There's the yellow zone. We are moving a little bit fast, maybe silly, being a little bit nervous, and your body's moving a little bit quicker. And then there's the red zone, which is you know furious, angry, explosive, not a place you want to be a, a lot of the time. Mm. But the zones is such a great program because it doesn't necessarily label any of the zones as good or bad because we're all going to experience those emotions mm. all of the time. And we have to be okay with that but there are certainly times and places to be in a certain zone and that's what we you know strive to do is to help kids be in the zone they should be in at the time so mm. certainly okay to be excitable and silly on the playground but during circle time it's not the best place to be <laughs> you know in the yellow yes. zone during circle time so trying to help kids navigate between the zones by providing them some strategies So at the clinic, we have check-in stations, Uh, we have a lot of visuals that we use, we do role-playing to teach the zones, and we start Kids on the Zones program pretty much right away when they start services for sensory issues and love the impact that it has Mm. because it's so empowering to kids. They come in and they really think that they don't have control Mm. over their ability to regulate themselves. Mm. And when they learn some strategies They realize that they do have control. Mm. And then some of the the strategies we treat are are us the bottom up, right? So we use a lot of graded movement activities, tactile opportunities, um, vestibular and proprioceptive input, breathing exercises, Mm. and make them useful, like you were saying, and practical to be able to be used on a day-to-day basis and maybe even in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Like you can do this in Absolutely. the classroom and no one knows yes. why you're putting both of your hands on top of your head and pressing down a little bit. That's calming. Mm-hmm. And no one needs to even know that, but you can use that in the classroom and things like that.
0: That's what I was wondering. You said graded movement and what was the second one?
3: Tactile tactile opportunities. opportunities. Will you give an example of each of those? hmm So graded movement would be maybe some like pushing, pulling, using your muscles in a sustained way, Mm -hmm. or getting some deep proprioceptive input, which would be like a hug, swaddle, Mm. some deep pressure. Mm. And then tactile opportunities would be exploring some different textures and whatnot. Because those opportunities can sometimes send kids who are over-responsive into that flight pattern that Susan was talking about. So we want to have a good experience with those tactile inputs.
2: There's also another program that's newer than Zones, which I am really loving. I'm doing some training in it now, and I'm just in awe of some of the concepts that they teach. It's called Powerfully You. Amy Lewis and Heather Spann have done work with this particular curriculum, and I love it because it teaches a lot of different concepts in a really fun, creative, hands-on way with kids. Mm. And they teach, one of the concepts is called felt safety, because when our kids are dysregulated, for whatever reason, they often don't feel safe. They don't feel safe in their environment. They don't feel safe with others because others don't understand what their needs are. Mm -hmm. A big part of the curriculum is also about connectedness and particularly Mm self-compassion. You probably know about Kristin Neff's work Mm -hmm. on self-compassion, and I love the components of that. The first one being mindful awareness like an example would be the other day I was making coffee I don't know if I told you this story already but I was making coffee and I did what I swear I won't do every time I make coffee I forgot to put the cup under the thing and I went to go do something else and coffee went all over the coffee Mm -hmm. bar, all down the cabinet, all over the floor. And I came back to this like enormous mess. Mm -hmm. So mindful awareness is you're just aware without judgment Mm -hmm. (laughs) that something happened Mm -hmm. and I need to do something about it, Mm -hmm. right? And then the next part of it is self-kindness. I'm going to talk to myself about it the way that I would talk to you about it, Mm -hmm. Sissy, if you did that. I'm not going to go up to you and go, could you be a bigger loser? Like what what were you thinking? You didn't put the coffee cup under the... No. No, but that's how we talk to ourselves when something like that happens, right? So self-kindness is about talking to yourself in a way that doesn't demean, like you would talk to a friend. Mm. And then the last part is common humanity. I am not the first person, I'm sure, that's not put a coffee cup under the coffee maker when I'm making coffee, Mm. that everybody has these experiences. You are not alone. And so I love that concept of rather than self-esteem where you know when you talk about self-esteem, I'm comparing myself to somebody else. In order for me to have good self-esteem, I have to be better than the other people in the room, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas self-compassion is a little bit more inward-focused and individually-focused. It's how I think about myself, and so yeah. I love this program. I'm learning more about it all the time. But I think I really want to bring that into the clinic and try using that a little bit more. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you for introducing. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Talk about it. Yeah. And Danielle, I was thinking when you were talking to, I have a friend who told me that their son's going to OT and his mom had been taking him for most of the appointments and he asked his dad to take him, which the dad was like, I'm (laughs) so so glad he wants me to be a part of it. And it was because he said, Dad, you're in the red zone too much.
3: Mm. <laughs> he wanted him to learn about the zones. That's so good. I That's said, amazing. I, that. uh-huh.
1: I said to his dad, I would pay attention to that. <laughs> I really would. Oh. There's good learning for all of us. It, it is. is. Yes. It is. We
3: are human. And exactly.
2: we're going to experience all the emotions. Yes. Exactly. There's that common humanity. <laughs> yes. <There> it is. <laughs> exactly. Yes. There it
1: is. We have a lot of parents listening who have preschool-age children. Mm. And what is one recommendation that you each would make to parents of young kids, something they could be doing to support their child's development based on your training and and experience?
2: I personally think that in sensory integration theory, we know that good sensory processing comes within the context of relationship. And so parents need to be good co-regulators with their kids. And what does co-regulation mean? a good visual would be if you picture a traffic cone, not an orange barrel Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we see all over Nashville, but a traffic (laughs) cone and lay that cone down on its side. So on the left side is the narrow end of the cone and on the right side is the wide end of the cone. The narrow end of the cone, on the left represents an infant and the wide end of the cone represents adulthood. And then of course, everything in between is the child growing to adulthood. Mm. So at the left side of the cone, the narrow end of the cone is the infant and they have a very limited ability to self-regulate, right? They can use eye gaze with their caregiver and that's self-regulating. They can use the suck reflex, which is very self-regulating and calming for an infant. And then we go all the way down to the wide end of the cone as an adult, where we have a wide array over a lifetime of hopefully good neurology, good connected relationships, lots of opportunities to get really rich sensory input. And at the wide end of the cone as an adult, we have this wide array of ways in which we can self-regulate and modulate our own sensory input. Well, sometimes when kids are little, of course, they have that narrow ability to self-regulate regulate. And so they need strong adults who are also barely self-regulated, which is hard as an adult sometimes, right? right? As a stressed out parent, they need us as co-regulators to come in and help regulate. As an infant, they need lots of our time. They need Mm -hmm. us to swaddle and hold and feed Mm -hmm. and change their diapers and keep them warm and all of those things. And we forget sometimes as a five-year-old or an eight-year-old or even a 17-year-old A 20-year-old in some situations, we all need other people to come in and help us co-regulate. And so I think parents understanding that concept of your child really does need you more than you think sometimes to help them get to a better arousal state, Mm -hmm. a calmer state, Mm -hmm. a more productive state. So that is one thing I think that parents could really understand. And there's Mm. lots of ways to do that. That'd be a whole other podcast for us.
3: (laughs) Right. Love that. Yeah. I think that just, you know, being in tune with your child Mm. in order Mm. to regulate is so important. Absolutely. And beyond that, I would say creating boundaries Mm. and structure Mm. for your child. Mm. I think as parents, we can get caught up in wanting to allow our kids to experience all that they want to experience and giving them a lot of freedom to do that. But I don't always think that's the best approach. And I don't want parents to get into a pattern of being rigid with their children, but I also feel like kids need boundaries. And that creates a sense of safety that sometimes we fail to give our kids And we think we're doing the right thing and giving them freedoms and space, but too much is dangerous for kids. And they feel that and they don't feel safe. And part of getting there is
2: building a relationship and it may be a different relationship than what parents might be used to Mm. with their parent. We talked about before the podcast started that that would actually be a great episode on just building relationship. How do you do that? Between a parent and a child. You know, one way is we talk about it in the clinic a lot, we talk about therapeutic use of self. So when I have a child who's under-responsive, my body movements, my tone of voice, my speed of motion, everything about how I use myself in relation to that child is very different from how I would do that with a child who might be over-responsive or a child who has discrimination problems. So parents need to kind of modify, depending on what's going on with their child, what they're doing and how they're interacting with their child in that moment. Another way to build relationship, I always like to tell parents when you're in that crisis moment and your kid is doing something you don't want them to do, we are always thinking, how can I get them to stop doing that? Instead of thinking that, think, what do I want my child to actually be doing right now? Instead of what Mm. do I want them to stop doing, what do I (laughs) want them to be doing? Mm. When you think in terms of that you now kind of have a destination that you can plan for getting to, right? Mm. It's a little bit easier. Things like just replacing a positive with a negative. If a teacher has a kiddo who's sensory craving and wants to move all the time and they run down the hall every time they get outside the classroom, instead of yelling down the hallway, don't run, don't run, yell after them, remember to walk. Just changing the way you phrase directions to a child can go a long way to building relationship, making them feel safe with you as a co-regulator. I think Bruce Perry talks a lot about that felt safety. And that's the concept that we're kind of going for. We want to create co-regulators, adults in that child's life that feel safe Mm. to them. Great. So
0: good! This, I'm learning so much, y'all. Okay, so this season of our podcast, we're talking about emotionally strong and worry-free kids. Mm-hmm. What would you all say helps kids move towards that? What are some ideas?
3: Well, I love what Susan was just talking about with you know being in tune and creating a safe place. Because I think connection is definitely a part of that, and creating that safe place so that kids don't feel worried. And going back to boundaries, setting expectations for your child so that they know what to expect with a very changing, unpredictable environment around them. They know what to expect going into things as much as you can. And I think that helps kids feel calm, feel safe, and be able to figure out how to navigate the world. Yes. I think acknowledging your child is really important.
2: You know, when we have these over-responders or these sensory cravers who are kind of all over the place, I think our tendency sometimes as a parent or a teacher or a caregiver of any kind, you know, you're constantly walking on eggshells. I don't want to set them off. I just want to create no obstacles, no bumps in the road. When they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, I'm just going to back away slowly. Don't anybody make eye contact with them? (laughs) Don't anybody (laughs) talk? You know. And really, we need to be acknowledging our children more and more. Karen Purvis in The Connected Child, it's a great book, even if you don't have an adopted child. If you're just a parent, it's a great book to read. She talks in there about corrections versus acknowledgement. And acknowledging your child, if they're getting their shoes on in a timely manner to get in the car, you can look at them and go, I love the way you got your shoes on so fast. That's amazing. I'll race you to the car. You know, just mm. that little bit of acknowledgement gives them input and feedback that what they're doing is appreciated and expected. And yes. you see that. And that just sets you up in terms of relationship building and as a safe co-regulator for them. Mm. So I think we need to spend more time really acknowledging when our kids are doing what they are expected to be doing. Mm.
0: David, have I told you how much Henry loves his Haya vitamin jar?
1: Does he? That is not surprising. That little jar is so cute. I love that kids can customize it with their names.
0: Oh, he was thrilled to put those little stickers on his jar. It makes him so much more excited to take his vitamins.
1: We know parents need all the help they can get getting kids to stop long enough to do good things for their nutrition.
0: Yes, it can be so hard to get kids to eat good foods. That's why I love Haya Kids Vitamins. They include a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies and 15 essential vitamins and minerals.
1: Most children's vitamins are filled with sugar, which can lead to a variety of health issues. Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes great and is perfect for picky eaters.
0: We know most parents have experience with picky eaters.
1: Yes, we do. We've got a special deal from Haya just for our listeners. Receive 50% off your first order. Just go to HayaHealth.com slash This deal is not available on their regular website.
0: Visit H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash RBG and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults.
1: Looking back at your early years of parenting, (laughs) what's something you worried about as a parent that you wish you hadn't?
3: Just about everything, probably. <laughs> I think when I look back when my girls were babies, I was probably a pretty new therapist as well mm. and hyper vigilant about them meeting their milestones on time and being able to do all the things that babies are supposed to do on time and maybe even early and hovering in that way and maybe in an unhealthy way. And I wish I had just Spend a little bit more time just being present with them and enjoying just some peaceful moments without goals or intentions and just enjoying them. Mm. I wish I
2: had not squashed or been fearful of their more difficult emotions. Mm. I had a really hard time, I think, experiencing with them anger or upset or sadness. You know, as a parent, I want as I'm sure most parents do, we want to protect our children and we want them to experience just love and joy and happiness in every moment. And that's not a realistic way to live life, right? I wish I had spent more time being in the moment with my kids when they were mad, being in the moment with my kids when they were sad, being in the moment with my kids when they were really mad at somebody else and upset. I think we spend a lot of time communicating indirect and very indirect ways to our kids that those emotions are unacceptable and not worthy of being felt. And Mm. then I think that creates anxiety for them because they do have those emotions. And if they don't feel safe with the adults around them, that they can experience them and that there are ways that they can themselves with co-regulators who know how to help at first, but there are ways themselves that they can easily get out of those emotions and they don't have to live there all the time. Yeah, they're scary. Yeah, they suck. We don't like them at all, right? <laughs> but but we have to experience them. And I was not a very good parent in that regard. I really did not like when my kids were experiencing those emotions. Mm. And I I really do love as a grandparent now being able to fully embrace and accept and experience the difficult emotions that my grandkids have. Mm. I'll be with you in them as long as we need to be together in them, but we will mm. get out of it. Mm. Love that. Definitely well, comes with experience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yes.
0: Along those lines, what would you each say is a statement you wish someone had said to you early on in your parenting journey and
2: even that you would want to say to new parents now? Play with your child. Mm. I would say play with your child. I know during COVID, you heard this phrase a lot, and it is true. Kids are resilient, right? Anytime you got into a discussion about lockdowns or Zoom school or masking kids or whatever it was, kids are resilient, kids are resilient, kids are resilient, and they are, and you hear a lot of professionals say that. At the same time, (laughs) kids really do need for us to be intentional and thoughtful Mm. and acknowledging and observant about mm. what's going on with them and they're not always as resilient in some situations as we think they are and so i wish that someone had said to me go play with your kid mm. stop doing that yes. and go play with your kid or i wish someone had said to me 17 times a day so maybe the 18th time i would have i would have understood it and said did you just see what he did because mm. the first 17 times i would have said no i missed it right mm. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention, mm. you know? So I would say, play with your child. They mm-hmm. need you to play.
0: I've mentioned, I have a four-year-old nephew and I was with him last night. And I mean, I think every other sentence when I'm with him, he calls me Diddy. <laughs> and is Diddy, will you build with me? Diddy, will you build with me? Diddy, will you build Legos with me? And I'm so glad he asks because it makes me stop and notice that that's yeah. what he wants to do. you know. And I hope my answer is always, yes, I want to build. Of yeah. course, I always want to build with you. Yeah. But I think- The degree to which he's asking reflects to me how much at that age they do long to play with you.
2: And it's hard for us as very high-functioning, type A, go-get-it-out-in-the-world kind of people to just sit on the floor with five or six or 10 blocks in front of us and just do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. hard. It's hard to do. But it really is something that our children so desperately want from us and absolutely need. And it builds relationship and it teaches them that we're a
3: safe co-regulator for them. Yes,
0: that's so good. And what
3: I found with my kids is I could sit on the floor and play with them for 15, 20 minutes, and then they were filled Their bucket Mm -hmm. was filled, and Mm -hmm. they would go on playing, and I would kind of tiptoe out and go Mm -hmm. do what I needed to go do. But their bucket was filled, and it's just such magical time for them. They just need a little bit Mm -hmm. of one-on-one if possible, but just that playtime is so important. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: When you look around you, what do you see parents struggling with the most?
3: Distraction. Mm. I've been... Thinking about this a lot. And I think just as humans right now, we're just all so distracted. I think there's just so much coming at us information wise. You know, we have our phones out and computers out, and we are in the know of so much and trying to juggle all of that. It takes our minds away from what's right in front of us. And it's hard to manage, it's overwhelming, and it makes it more difficult to be present with your kids. And so I think the distraction can really affect relationships and it's just difficult to manage.
2: Yeah. Along those same lines, I would say just finding rest and your own self-regulation, you know, finding your own health in that regard. It's really hard for parents to rest. You know, again, I think when we rest or sit or just recharge in that way, we somehow feel like we're wasting time or we're not being efficient or there's something else I should be doing. And I think Danielle's absolutely right because so much is coming into us from so many places. We just feel pulled in those directions. And so it's really hard to rest.
0: Mm. Such good reminders. I'm feeling convicted as y'all are talking. (laughs) exactly. So we talk a lot with kids and with parents about arming ourselves with truth some kind of truth that kind of undergirds our anxiety, undergirds all the things that are going on in our lives. What would you all say, each of you, is a truth that has helped you worry
2: less as a parent? We see kids that have difficulties, right? People don't come to us because everything's going well. And so we're very trained to see outnesses Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, right? But I think one of the truths that has just become very obvious to me as a clinician and as a parent and a grandparent is that every child has an abundance of strength.
0: Mm.
2: And when parents are really struggling and stressed out with a child who's got a sensory processing issue, it's really hard sometimes to see those strengths. Mm. And even the overresponsive kid who's upset with everything that's going on around them, has a sensitivity about them that is going to serve them well in life. Every sensory craver who is climbing the nearest tree and jumping off of every piece of furniture they can climb up on Mm -hmm. is probably going to be an incredible achiever at some incredible job that's going to require a lot of effort from them, and they're Mm -hmm. going to use that strength in that way. Every child that comes to us, if I never had a diagnosis from any child that came to see me, I wouldn't care Mm -hmm. at all. I want parents to come in and say, this is what's working well. This is what we're struggling with. What can we do to get to that place of well-being and joy? Mm -hmm. How can we get there? I don't care if the child has a diagnosis of autism or anxiety disorder. It's informative to me on a level, but It doesn't speak to how that family and that child will get to a place of well-being and joy. Mm. And so I just feel like that's sort of my truth is that every child has strengths that will get them there. And every family has a way to get to that place. Mm. I love that so
3: much. Yeah, And I think to not expect our children to be perfect. Mm. Yes, And in that, that they are perfect (laughs) and appreciate all of the things that make them unique. I think as parents, we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be perfect parents, and we're not perfect. And parenting is definitely a long, hard journey. But as long as we're learning along the way, and we're loving our child, then we're good parents, right? Mm. And so it doesn't have to look perfect, but in that, it's perfect. Mm. Thank so you, all. Rich, you all. So much
0: helpful information.
1: Yes, it is. <laughs> we like to end every ep- episode with something fun and food related. (laughs) So I've got a two-part question for you. First part is queso or guac. Second part is what's your favorite taco?
2: Oh gosh, can I put queso on the
1: guac? <laughs> you 100% can. Yes. That's a lot. Super
2: Rica has that. Oh have you ever been there and had that? What? Where, where is it? Super
0: Rica. No. There's one in Nashville, there's <gasps> one in Atlanta. I think some other places You've they got put, to go. <laughs> I think it's called queso compuesto. I'm not oh saying that right. My Ask goodness. for it. There's meat, guacamole in the queso. Okay. I think some pico. I need the idea. It'll change your life. It have made yes. your
1: day, haven't <laughs> you we? It just made my yes. day.
2: I love both. I actually do love both. Yeah, I'm going to stick with both. Both. Queso <laughs> on my guac. That's it. And then we are big predator fans, Nashville Predator. That's for any of fun. your listeners who don't know who the Nashville Predators are, they're a hockey team. And so we've had season tickets forever. Danielle's a major hockey fan too. So we go to this restaurant sometimes across the street from the arena and they have these mahi tacos that are to die for. I know what you're talking about. They yes. are so good.
1: I yes. do not. So <gasps> I need that
2: information yes. but oh. after we Blanco finish. Is okay. The, the name of it, but mm-hmm. it's, oh, they so, so fun. good.
3: Yep. Yeah, that's my taco. Okay. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. I am guac 100% all the way. Love guac. And I love, I love fresh veggies. So mm. I'm going to do veggies in my tacos. Mm corn tortillas with veggies and beans and rice and i am happy <laughs> so <laughs> it's comfort hard to food ready talk about lunch uh-huh. I, yeah. I, yeah. I know exactly
0: y'all thank you thank you for oh, your so wisdom welcome. and such
2: practicality and such hope in the midst of all of it well we're our passion so is really to share as much of this information as possible so thank you for giving us an opportunity to do that Wow. Well, we're so grateful for we We're so our nice. families of you
1: mm-hmm. thank you
0: It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House.
1: If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to click the follow button in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. To learn more about our parenting resources or to see if we're coming to a city near you, visit our website at raisingboysandgirls.com.
0: Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.